our gracious creator and sustainer and redeemer. I thank you, Father, for the opportunity, the privilege, the blessing to be able to study your word, to learn from your mind, your wonderful mind, to consider your scriptures, to allow you to speak to us through your scriptures. Father, bless this study. Bless us as we continue to travel with Paul throughout the book of Acts. Bless us to develop and maintain the same kind of evangelistic spirit that he had. Bless us to not be ashamed of your gospel as he was not ashamed of the gospel. Bless us to have boldness and courage as he had 2,000 years ago. I pray, Father, for the sick and the hurting, the grieving those, Father, who are facing anxiety and depression during this very difficult time, hold, hold their hands, bless them, encourage them, Father. Be with us all as your people. Help us, Father, take life one day at a time and always keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good evening, dear friends. Thank you for tuning in to another Bible class video. We are Continuing in a series, a 10-part series entitled Paul's Preaching. In our last video, we began traveling with the Apostle Paul on his second missionary journey. If you remember, beginning with Acts chapter 15 and verse number 41, after Paul and Barnabas separated over a dispute concerning John, John Mark, Luke, the writer of Acts, tells us that Paul and Silas made their way to Syria and Cilicia. They went there strengthening the churches. These were churches that Paul had established on his first preaching journey. Paul then traveled to Derby, and he went to Lystra, and there he met Timothy, his friend and future protege. Timothy started traveling with Paul. Paul then made his way to Troas, then he went across the Aegean Sea to Macedonia. In Macedonia, he first arrived in Philippi. In Philippi, he converts Lydia and her household and some other women at a riverside. He then converts the jailer who was watching over he and Silas while they were imprisoned for a time. After leaving Philippi, Paul then made his way to Thessalonica, and he established a church in Thessalonica. He then made his way to Berea, and the people in Berea were more noble-minded and even open-minded than those in Thessalonica. He establishes a church in Berea, and then after leaving Berea, he then made his way to Athens. In Athens, the great city of philosophy, a city where so many famous philosophers came from there, Paul was able to have the opportunity to preach the gospel in the Oropagus. We call it his Sermon on Mars Hill. After preaching that sermon, after preaching a lesson about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, most of the people mocked him and scoffed at that message, but there were a small few who did believe it. And so that's where we stopped in our last video as we are traveling with Paul on his second missionary journey. In this particular video tonight, we want to conclude Paul's second missionary journey. We want to continue following him 
from Athens, and now we're going to go to the city of Corinth. We're going to leave Athens. We finished Athens at the, at the end of our last study. Now we're going to go with Paul to, to Corinth. Now go in your Bible, please, to Acts chapter 18. I want to read several verses in Acts chapter 18. Acts chapter 18 and verse number 1. At the end of Acts chapter 17, we are we left off with Paul departing from Athens. And in Acts 18 and verse number 1, listen to what the scripture says. Acts 18 and verse number 1, it says, After these things, he, the apostle Paul, he left Athens, and he went, and he went to Corinth. And he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, having recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. He came to them, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them, and they were working, for by trade they were tent makers. And he was reasoning in the synagogue every Sabbath and trying to persuade Jews and Greeks but when Silas and Timothy came down from Macedonia, Paul began devoting himself completely to the word, solemnly testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. But when they resisted and blasphemed, he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am clean. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. Then he left there and went to the house of a man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God whose house was next to the synagogue. Crispus, the leader of the synagogue, believed in the Lord with all his household, and many of the Corinthians, when they heard, were believing and being baptized. The Lord said to Paul in the night, in, in the night by vision, Do not be afraid any longer. But go on speaking, do not be silent, for I am with you, and no man will attack you in order to harm you, for I have many people in this city. He settled there a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. But while Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews, with one accord, rose up against Paul and brought him before the judgment seat, saying, This man persuades men to worship God contrary to the law. But when Paul was about to open his mouth, Gallio said to the Jews, If it were a matter of wrong or a vicious crime, O Jews, it would be reasonable for me to put up with you. But if there are questions about words and names in your own law, look after it yourselves. I am, I am unwilling to be a judge on these matters. He drove, and he drove, and drove them away from the judgment seat. They all took hold of Sothenes, the leader of the synagogue, and began beating him in front of the judgment seat. But Gallio was not concerned about any of these things. Paul, having remained many days longer, took leave of the brethren and put out to sea for Syria. And with him were Priscilla and Aquila. In Sancria he had his hair cut, for he was keeping a vow. They came to Ephesus, and he left them there. Now he himself entered the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews, when they asked him to stay for a little longer, he did not consent, but taking leave of them and saying, I will return to you again if God wills, he set sail from Ephesus. When he had landed at Caesarea, he went up and greeted the church and went down to Antioch. Okay, so that section of scripture is pretty much the bulk of what we're going to study in this video tonight. And so let's just kind of rehearse 
Let's dissect and go through these, these 22 verses. This right here is going to wrap up Paul's second missionary journey. Notice how as this chapter opens up, we learn that after leaving the city of Athens, the next stop on Paul's journey was the city of Corinth. Corinth was 45 miles west of Athens. It was actually the capital of the region of Achaia. And so Paul has left Macedonia and he's gone to Achaia. He's gone to the main city in Achaia. That's the city of Corinth. Corinth was a significant city because of its location, because it was near the water, because it was near the Aegean Sea. This was a major commercial and shipping center. Corinth boasted a population of 500,000 people. There are a lot of people in Corinth. This was one of the major cities in the ancient world. It was a heavily populated city, but we need to also understand that Corinth was a very immoral city. It was a very wicked and sinful city. Places like Las Vegas here in our country have nothing on the city of Corinth. Epaphrodite was the chief goddess, quote unquote goddess of the city, and her temple, her temple was home to about a thousand prostitutes. Men from all around the world, from all around the region would come to this temple and lay with these prostitutes as part of idolatrous worship. Corinth was such a wicked and sinful city that during this time, 2,000 years ago, the very name Corinthian was synonymous or it stood for drunkenness and, and immorality throughout the world. To be called a Corinthian during this time was a very degrading thing. This was a very sinful and immoral city. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse number 3 that he began his work there in weakness and fear and in much trembling. Paul was... Nervous and even fearful when arriving in the city of Corinth, but he was determined to preach the name of Jesus Christ. He was determined to tell the people in this city about the death, burial, and resurrection of the Son of God. Upon arriving in the city alone, he doesn't have Timothy, he doesn't have Silas with him. When he initially arrives in Corinth and upon initially arriving in the city, the scripture tells us in 1 Corinthians 18 and verse 2 that Paul immediately found some friends. He immediately found some Christian friends. Their names were Aquila and Priscilla. You ever heard of Priscilla and Aquila or Aquila and Priscilla? The Bible tells us that Aquila and Priscilla were, were wonderful people. They were actually a Christian couple. They were a Christian couple, a wife and a husband who served the Lord, who had been converted by the gospel. They were Jews. Their nationality was Jewish. They were Jews who had recently fled from Italy. Going back to the text, remember in Acts 18 and verse number 2, it says that Aquila and Priscilla had recently come from Italy because Claudius, the emperor Claudius, had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. So they had to make an exodus from Rome. 
They are they're they're from they're from Italy, but they had to leave their home because they were kicked out. In Corinth, as they made their way to Corinth, they found work, and they worked with the Apostle Paul. They labored with Paul in both spiritual and secular work. If you remember in the text, Luke tells us that Aquila and Priscilla and Paul were in the tent making business. They worked together in the tent making business and the Apostle Paul also stayed with them. He found lodging with this Christian couple. In Corinth, Paul worked with his own hands in the tent making business to supply his needs. While he also received financial support from other congregations, one particular church that supported Paul during this time was the church in Philippi, the church that Lydia was a member of. Remember, Lydia was a wealthy woman, it appears. It appears she had servants, a household. She was a seller of purple, a very expensive fa fabric. She was from Thyatira. People like Lydia and other saints, maybe even the jailer in Philippi, they, they sent money to Paul to support his, his preaching in Corinth. And so Paul is working as a tent maker. He's also receiving some outside support. But when you read what he told the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, he defended his right in those verses to receive support for his preaching. He told the Corinthians that he had, quote, unquote, robbed other churches to labor among them. Evidently, the Corinthian church, the Corinthian brethren, were not giving Paul any support. He had to rely on his money from tent making and from other churches, probably solely the church at Philippi. And so even though Paul was not being supported locally in Corinth, he did defend his right to have received that if he had pushed for it. Now in verse number four of Acts chapter 18, we see that when Paul started preaching in Corinth. He doesn't do anything new. He follows his normal pat pattern for evangelism. Do you remember his normal pattern for evangelism? I've tried to stress that in every video so far. Remember Paul's normal pattern or method for evangelism was whenever he would go to a city, he would immediately look for a Jewish synagogue. He would immediately go and try to find an assembly of religious Jews, Jews who were not Christians. He would preach the gospel to the Jew first, and then he would go to the Greek. And so that's what Paul does in Corinth. Upon arriving in Corinth, the Bible says in verse 4, he was reasoning in the synagogue every Sabbath, trying to persuade Jews and Greek. Soon, Silas and Timothy joined him from Macedonia. Remember, the last time we heard of Silas and Timothy was when they were back in Macedonia. Paul actually left them in Berea. And so Paul goes ahead to Athens. He eventually makes his way to Corinth. And after spending some time in Corinth, Silas and Timothy join Paul. They join Paul from Macedonia. Once they arrived, Paul stopped making tents, and he devoted himself completely to the word solemnly testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. 
Once Paul or once Timothy and Silas show up, Paul appears to stop making tents. He starts solely focusing on evangelism. And once he preaches to the Jews in the synagogue every Sabbath, the Bible makes it very clear in verse number six that the Jews, for the most part, they reject what Paul has to say. They reject his teaching. They reject the message that he preached about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Paul's then turned his attention to the Gentiles. You go back to the text. It says in verse number six that these Jews in Corinth, they, in Corinth, they resisted the gospel. They even blasphemed the name of Jesus, and Paul didn't let that, didn't let that stop him from preaching. The scripture says he shook out his garments, he dusted off his feet, and he told them, hey, your blood be on your own hands. I've told you the truth. My job is not to convert you. My job was to plant the seed. My job was to tell you the truth. I told you the truth about Jesus Christ. I can't make you obey what I said. I can only show you love by telling you the truth. And if you want to obey, that's on you. If you want to reject it, that's on you. Since you do reject it, though, I'm not going to waste time on you anymore. I'm moving on to the Gentiles. I'm going to go to another group of people who may be more receptive. Romans 1 and verse 16, Paul's preaching the gospel to the Jew first. Now he's going to the Gentiles. The Gentiles, for the most part, rejected Paul's preaching. He didn't waste any more time on the Jews in Corinth. He turns to the Gentiles and the Gentiles, as they normally were during this time, they were much more receptive to the gospel. They were much more receptive to the things Paul has said. Paul converted many Gentiles in the city of Corinth. In fact, among the converts was a man named Justice and another man named Crispus. Justice and Crispus, both of these men were big catches, big fish. They got caught in the net of the gospel. Let me tell you about them. Let's start with Justice. Luke tells us that Justice was a worshiper of God. He's a Gentile that is probably a proselyte. He has been converted to Judaism at some point. So he's a worshiper of the one true God, and his house just so happens to be right next to the synagogue. He's converted by the gospel, the man who lives next to the synagogue. Crispus was an even bigger catch for Paul. Crispus was actually the leader of the synagogue. He was the leader or the ruler of the synagogue in Corinth. Luke says that both Crispus and his, old, his whole family were converted by the gospel. Justice was converted. Crispus was converted. Verse number 8 says, Many of the Corinthians, when they heard Paul's preaching, and we're talking about Gentiles here, many of them, when they heard, they believed it and they were baptized. They believed the gospel and they were baptized. They did the same thing that everybody else did in Acts to get right with God. It is the same thing that those on Pentecost in Acts 2 did. The same thing that the Samaritans did and the Ethiopian 
eunuch did in Acts chapter 8. The same thing that Cornelius did. The same thing that those in Thessalonica and Philippi and Berea did to get right with God. They obeyed the words of Jesus in Mark 16 and verse 16 when Jesus says, He who believes the gospel and is baptized will be saved. Notice how this verse says that the Corinthians followed the instructions of that verse. They believed the gospel and they were baptized. Many of them believe the gospel and they were baptized. So Paul's having some, he's having a lot of success in Corinth with the Gentiles. But this issue with the Jews, the persecution from the Jews, it brought some stress to Paul. While he is enjoying some success among the Gentiles, Paul is somewhat discouraged and stressed out by the Jews who are so resistant towards the gospel and so in verses 9 through 10 of this chapter, the scripture says that Jesus came to Paul in a night vision. He came to Paul in a night vision, and the purpose of the Lord doing that was to encourage, to encourage Paul. In verse number 9, it says, And the Lord said to Paul in the night by vision, Do not be afraid any longer, but go on speaking, and do not be silent, for I am with you, and no man will attack you in order to harm you, for I have many people in this city. Notice the promises that Jesus makes in these verses. First, Jesus tells Paul, don't be afraid. I know you're afraid, but don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of the Jews here. Don't be afraid of your persecutors. You go on speaking. Don't be silent. You speak the word of God in this place. Why? Verse 10, he says, I am with you. I'm with you. And nobody's going to harm you here because I'm with you. Doesn't that remind you of Matthew 28 and verse 20? When after giving the great commission, Jesus says, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus made that promise initially in Matthew 28 and verse 20, and he's reminding Paul that same promise right here in Acts 18 and verse 10. Jesus says, I'm with you. Don't you be afraid. Don't be afraid. I'm going to make sure nobody harms you. Nobody's going to stop you from preaching. He says, I have many people in this city. There are a lot of people in this city, Paul, that believe in me and serve me. You may feel like you're all alone, but you're not all alone. Doesn't that remind you of the Old Testament story of Elijah, 1 Kings chapter 19? Remember 1 Kings chapter 19? After Elijah had defeated the prophets of Baal at Mount Carmel, Elijah got discouraged when Jezebel was, was tried to kill him. He went and hid himself in a cave. He went and pouted under a juniper tree. He felt that he was the only one in Israel serving the Lord. And the Lord came to him and said, Elijah, lift your head up, get back to work because you're not alone. I have 7,000 people in Israel who have not bowed themselves to Baal. Get to work. There are more people serving me than you realize. Jesus told Paul essentially the same thing. Don't be afraid. Keep working. I got a lot of people in Corinth who are following me. They're not involved in the wicked ways of the majority. 
Lord came to Paul in a vision, and he made these promises to him. And Paul was encouraged by that. In fact, he was so encouraged that the scripture says in verse 11 that he remained in Corinth for about a year and a half. He was there for 18 months laboring in this very wicked and immoral city. He was actually able to establish a local church in this place. And when we press on in Acts chapter 18, we see that while Gallio was proconsul, and he's proconsul, not just of Corinth, but of the whole region of Achaia. This is an important man. And while he's proconsul during the time Paul was there, the Jews attacked Paul. The persecutors are there. They attack Paul, and they bring Paul before the judgment seat. They bring accusations against Paul to Gallio. They want to shut Paul up. The accusation they bring against Paul is found in verse 13. They say this man persuades men to worship God contrary to the law. The law there is probably a reference to the law of Moses. The Old Testament law of Moses, the Jews in Corinth, and I like the fact that Paul was telling people to follow Jesus and not Moses. They didn't like that Paul was preaching about a new covenant. They didn't like that Paul was talking about the kingdom of God. They didn't like the fact that Paul was going around saying that the Gentiles now have access into the kingdom of God under the new covenant of Jesus Christ. They didn't like that message. They said, you got to do something about this guy because he's telling people not to follow the law. He's talking about the gospel. He's talking about the new covenant. He is teaching things as contrary to the old law. That's the accusation they bring to Gallio, and Paul was about to speak up and defend himself, but he didn't have to. Through the providence of God, Gallio refused to even listen to these Jews. He didn't want to hear what they had to say. Their religious law meant nothing to him. He said to them, I'm not even going to hear your charges. He drove them away from the judgment seat. He says, get away from me. This got nothing to do with me. If this was some threat to Rome or something, maybe I might hear it, but I could care less about charges that you have against this man concerning your, your religious law. He drove these people away from the judgment seat. But after he did that, something very, very terrible happened. When the Jews didn't get their way with Gallio concerning Paul, verse 17 says they took hold of Sothenes. Sothenes is the leader of the synagogue, the new leader of the synagogue, someone who appears to have succeeded Crispus. Remember, Crispus was the leader of the synagogue when Paul first arrived in Corinth, and he was converted, he and his household. But now Sothenes is described as the leader of the synagogue, and the Jews took Sothenes, and they beat him viciously, and unfortunately, Gallio didn't do anything about that. He didn't intervene in this instance either. And so in one instance, Gallio did the right thing by not intervening. He did the right thing by not intervening in what was going on with Paul. But on the other 
In the other instance, he did the wrong thing by not intervening. He should have intervened here and stopped these Jews from unjustly beating Sothenes. So this is an ugly scene going on here in Corinth. All of this is the result of Paul preaching the truth about Jesus. Now let's press on. Let's press on. I want you to go down, go down now to verse 18. Go down to verse 18. You see, after staying in Corinth a little while longer, soon it became time, it became time for Paul to return back to his home congregation, and that was the, the church in Antioch of Syria. And so Paul along with Aquila and Priscilla, they traveled 10 miles to Sancria. The scripture says that when they got to Sancria, Paul shaved his head. He shaved his head for he was keeping a vow. That's all we're told about that. Maybe this was some custom that he had to keep in regards to the law, to the law of Moses. I think we can be pretty sure that Paul is not double dipping, keeping the old law and the new law. Paul was the main one in the first century who preached the fact that Christians are not under the old law, but they're under the new law. So Paul's not being a hypocrite. He's probably keeping some custom, some custom, not, not law that was binding, but a custom of the old law of, from the law of Moses, which was also part of the Jews' civil law, beyond just being their religious law. We're not told a whole lot about why Paul is shaving his head beyond the fact that he's keeping a vow. But that's not the most important thing we need to know about Sancria. The most important thing is the fact that when you read Romans chapter 16, verses 1 and 2, there you see that in the church of Sancria was a woman named Phoebe. Phoebe was a faithful woman of God. Phoebe was a servant of God. She was a worker in the church. She, this woman Phoebe, is part of the church in Sincrea. She's mentioned in Romans 16. Now, after Paul sailed from Sincrea, he then made his way to Ephesus. The book of Ephesians was later written to the church at Ephesus. Ephesus was 250 miles across the Aegean Sea. It was actually the capital of Asia at this time. And I want to highlight that because if you remember going back to Acts chapter 16, in Acts chapter 16 and verse 6, when Paul began his second missionary journey, the Holy Spirit for, for, forbade him from going into Asia. He was forbidden by the Holy Spirit from going to Bithynia, from going into Asia. That wasn't the right time for Paul to do that. So even though Paul at one time was told, I don't want you to go into Asia by, by the Lord, here, by the time Paul is wrapping up his second missionary journey, he's now been given the green light. What, what, whatever barriers or hindrances were there before are clearly not there now. 
Now the Holy Spirit's okay with Paul going into Asia. He wants him to go into Asia. In fact, not only is Paul going into Asia, but he's going to the main city in Asia. He's going to Ephesus. He's in Ephesus. That's in the capital of Asia. And once he arrives in Ephesus, verse 19 says that he follows his normal pattern of evangelism. He finds a Jewish synagogue. And he goes in there and he preaches the gospel. He preaches the good news of Jesus Christ. And, and evidently he has some success because the people that he preached to, they, they asked him to stay longer. They want to hear more of his preaching, but he says, I can't stay. I can't stay any longer. I have to get back to Antioch, but I will come back if the Lord wills one day. Paul promised to come back to these people one day. And when we keep studying, particularly in our next video, we're going to see that God blessed him to be able to go back to Ephesus. And so this was Paul's, Paul's first time to preach in Ephesus. And on his third missionary journey, he will return there to continue preaching to these people. He's even going to establish or plant a local church there. And so Paul leaves Ephesus after only being there a short time. He eventually lands back in Caesarea Maritima. And then after making his way to Caesarea Maritima, he then is able to make his way back to Antioch in Syria, and he's going to give a report to the church of his trip. Now, that wraps up Paul's second missionary journey. And as you can see, Paul covered a whole lot more territory on this second journey than he did on the first journey. I mean, he did some serious, serious good, some serious preaching on this, on this trip, he covered a lot of territory. A lot of churches have been planted across the globe at this time because of Paul's work. Before we close this video, I want to say a couple of things about Paul's letters, okay? I want to talk with you about Paul's letters. I think this is a good spot for us to catch our breath and just consider what Paul has got going on at this time in terms of or in relation to his, his, his inspired letters. You see, during his second preaching journey, during this journey we just spent two classes studying, Paul starts writing various letters that are included in the canon of Scripture. During this trip, Paul starts writing inspired letters to churches. And so let's talk about that a little bit. Let's talk about the New Testament books, okay? If you notice, the New Testament contains 27 books. 27 books make up the New Testament canon. Four of them are the Gospels. That is the genre, the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They talk about the birth, life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. One of the books in the New Testament canon is a book of history, particularly church history. That's the book of Acts. The other 22 books are letters written to various churches and individuals. Paul wrote at least 13 of these letters. He wrote at least 13 
of the inspired letters that make up the New Testament canon. Now, it's possible that he could have written a 14th, the book of Hebrews. We don't know who wrote the book of Hebrews. The majority of scholars say Paul. And if that's true, then that means he wrote 14 of the 22 epistles. The books we know for sure that were written by Paul include 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Romans, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Philemon, Titus, 1st and 2nd Timothy. And if you add Hebrews to that, which is only a, a possibility, then you got 14. The other 13 we know, we know for sure. Now, during this second preaching journey, we need to understand that Paul definitely wrote at least two of his 13 epistles. He wrote 1st and 2nd Thessalonians. He wrote those from Corinth. You remember the church at Thessalonica? Remember Acts chapter 17? Remember in Acts chapter 17, we can read about the apostle Paul planting the church in Thessalonica. Remember the last time we, we heard about that church, they were going through some tough times. They were being persecuted by the Jews. They were being drugged out of their homes and brought before the civil authorities by the Jews. In fact, the persecution was so bad that the Apostle Paul was forced to leave the city immediately. He had to go for his safety. The last time we heard of this church in Thessalonica was Acts 17, and things were not going so well for them. Paul even started thinking that those Christians that got so discouraged that they left the Lord, that they went back to their old idolatrous ways. But later he's going to learn in Corinth that even though these saints in Thessalonica were being persecuted, they were remaining faithful to God. They were remaining true to the gospel. They had not abandoned the truth that Paul taught them, and that encouraged Paul so much. He was so encouraged to hear that those Christians were still being faithful to God, even though he wasn't there. And so between 50 and 52 AD, he wrote 1st and 2nd Thessalonians. He wrote those, those letters to the church in Thessalonica because he wanted to encourage them. He wanted to encourage them in the Lord. He wanted to let them know how much he appreciated them, and he wanted to share with them some more things from the gospel that were designed to motivate them. To continue on in the truth, despite being severely persecuted. So Paul wrote 1st and 2nd Thessalonians on his second missionary journey. Many suggest that these two letters were the first letters to be, to be written that, that are part of the canon. These are the first books produced, written, that's in the New Testament scriptures. But another book that may have also been written during this time it's the book of Galatians. Now, Galatians is a hard book to date. Some date Galatians being written on Paul's third missionary journey, but the majority of scholars believe that Galatians was the first book written, even before 1st and 2nd Thessalonians. Many scholars suggest that Galatians could have been written as early as 50 AD, not long after that famous meeting that took place in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 15. 
Remember, the meeting in Acts chapter 15 was a meeting that had to do with Gentile salvation. Remember, there were some Jewish teachers coming from Jerusalem to Antioch telling the Gentile converts that in addition to obeying the gospel, they also had to become Jews if they were going to be right with God. They also had to be circumcised and they had to keep the law of Moses the brethren came together in Jerusalem and they discovered what the Holy Spirit had already revealed about this issue. They learned together that Gentiles did not have to become Jews first in order to be right with God. Becoming disciples or Christians was good enough. Obeying the gospel was all that the Lord required of them to become his sons and his daughters. Many believe or suggest that Galatians was written not long after that meeting in Jerusalem. It may have been as written as early as 50 AD. And the theme of the book would be tied to that meeting that took place in Acts 15. I mean, since Jesus has died, Paul's point in Galatians is the Old Testament law is no longer binding. And isn't that really what that meeting was all about in Acts 15? Is the old law still binding? Is it binding upon the Gentiles? Paul emphasizes the results of the meeting in, in Acts 15 in the book of Galatians. In Galatians 3, verses 26 through 29, he wants the Christians in Galatia to understand that they are justified by faith in Christ. They're justified by putting Christ on through baptism, by being baptized into Christ. They become heirs to the spiritual promises that are found in the Old Testament. You see, some of the Christians in Galatia were thinking about abandoning the gospel in order to go back to Judaism or to start living by the old law. Some were trying to double dip and live by the old law and the gospel. And Paul says, no, the old law was a schoolmaster or a tutor to bring us to the system of being justified by faith. Now they were justified by faith in Christ. The old law is no longer binding. And so Galatians may have been written on Paul's second missionary journey. We know for sure that the two, that the two letters to the Thessalonian church were. And so, so far we follow Paul on two missionary journeys. This is a map of the first journey. Notice he goes through Cyprus, Lystra, Iconium, Derby establishes churches in those places. But on the second journey, he covers a whole lot more territory. He goes back to Iconia, Lystra, Derby. He makes his way to Troas. He makes his way to Macedonia. He plants churches in Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea. He makes his way to Achaia, plants a church in Corinth. And then he makes his way back to Caesarea. He does that after first spending some time in Asia for the first time in the capital city of Ephesus. And so that's Paul's second missionary journey. I appreciate you studying with me in our next video, Lord willing. We're going to pick up with where we left off in Acts chapter 18. We're going to start with verse number 23, and we're going to consider Paul's third missionary journey. And then we're going to consider the trip he makes to Rome, where he will even proclaim the glorious gospel in Rome. Thank you for your, for your time and you studying with me tonight.